0: Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode one fifty three. Here on the show, Nick Max and joining myself, Noah Grant. We are getting down to the wire. We have one more week of conference playoff college hockey before the NCAAs. We are less than two weeks away from knowing the results of essentially the entire first round for the most part and the frozen four parameters here. It's crazy that we've already uh, pushed into the middle of March for a lot of us. It's spring break week or around spring break week. So we welcome in all of our listeners who are probably on a much warmer beach than where Nick and I are in the great Midwest. Uh, But with that being said, St. Cloud State hockey on the men's side, obviously, headed to the Frozen face-off just moments ago here. We're recording this on Sunday night, so we'll recap uh, that best-of-three series that had a lot to offer with the UMD Bulldogs. On the women's side, the Frozen Four is set in Duluth. Speaking of the area of the Bulldogs, uh, the women's team for Duluth did not make it, but there are some favorites in the WCHA, three of four teams in that pool coming from the best conference in college hockey on the women's side. And then the Minnesota Wild. Got to touch on them. Holy smokes, have they continued to roll even without their star uh, power forward, so to speak, in Kirill Kaprizov? And then our extra ice session, we're going to actually circle back to the women's side. We're going to talk a little bit about some transfer portal news. St. Cloud State kind of at the forefront of maybe some happenings here that we're going to kind of dissect. And of course, at the beginning of the regular portion of the show, How could we not talk about the Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament? We'll have to touch on that as well. So we start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: Let's just jump right into it. So weekly roundup, let's start with um, what do you want to call it? A roundup or, you know, shall we say, you know, a run out, a run out of town, I should say. Can we call Uh, it a can we call it a no surprise? Very much so. In fact, if anything, surprise, this (laughs) hadn't happened sooner. Right. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers, um, after going through the trade deadline, have um, fired General Manager Chuck Fletcher um four plus seasons really within the organization mind you started off as essentially a special advisor I believe to the GM. Uh has been at the uh the GM held by, I think for what, what a year and a half effectively almost two years uh so this took place over the weekend there on Friday uh Daniel Briere, former flyer uh you talk about a, you know a smaller guy right-handed shot that could snipe the puck a guy i liked watching uh you know when i was a little bit younger he takes over on the interim basis um organization though says that they are searching for his permanent replacement immediately um and also for president of of hockey operations although they did mention that you know Breyer could be that guy uh but of course as we know um gotta open things up right so Breer um will fill out the rest of the season at least and then we'll see where the flyers are at uh come uh draft day here right in the offseason so but no surprise here, right, Noah?
0: Yeah, don't envy that whoever steps into that job.
1: <laughs> they no. They're
0: very much a dumpster fire in Philadelphia. Yeah, four and a half seasons for Chuck Fletcher at the helm of the Philadelphia Flyers, actually. And uh, um, I'm trying to think how long he was in Minnesota. Was it six or eight seasons? It, it was 2011 much... 2011 to 2017, I believe. Yeah, six seasons, maybe. Much too long, probably. Um, But, yeah, when, you, when you're... Towning how to do trades via an app that's essentially playing matchmaker for you, and you reveal that to the media scrum. That's not exactly an indication that things are going well uh, no. in Philadelphia. Um, among other things. Actually, you know what's interesting? I-, I had not planned to talk about this. Um, and I it just popped into my mind because th- I thought about everything that's gone on with Philadelphia and the Ivan Provrov situation. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? I don't know if I read this in the Athletic last week or something, because they were talking. They were talking about the Wilds Pride Night and how a lot of teams have kind of backed away from some of the promotional things that they've been doing, especially wearing jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not siding with Ivan Provorov by any means, but it seems like based on the recent determination from uh, the Russian government around mid to late December, um, there's actually a uh, A big penalty, I believe, even punishable by incarceration uh, when it comes to displaying anything that relates to LGBTQ things. And I think that's where you're getting a lot of pushback from a lot of Russian players is they don't want any association with it, not because of their own personal beliefs necessarily. It might be, might not, but they're more worried about the backlash of being a part of something like that. Um, It's kind of interesting. I, I I don't have it in the show notes, but I thought it was interesting. You know, when we talked about the wild, and then there were other teams that have kind of scrapped some of these jersey ideas. The only guy that really has worn one was Evgeny Malkin back in December, but it was about five days after that ruling in Russia um, that the government had come out with. So I don't know. I, I we didn't really get a chance to kind of talk about it last week, and I'm kind of throwing it in here, but it definitely relates to the Flyers and Chuck Fletcher in some senses, but. Um, yeah, anything you wanted to add there? I just kind of it just kind of popped into my head, so I'm sorry it's kind of off the cuff.
1: No, it's well, welcome to podcasting, right? Everyone's <laughs> off the cuff.
0: Uh, but
1: let's talk about where we are at from a fan's perspective on this because I think this is important because uh, there was a lot of backlash on social media about uh, the Minnesota Wild essentially without any sort of advanced warning. I think that's what caught a lot of people off guard was. There was the LGBTQ plus night and then it's been no secret uh, the yeah. wild, amongst other teams that, you know, jerseys have always been part of that warm up jerseys, right? Uh, different colored stick tape, all those kind of fun things, right? And then all of a sudden warm ups came and nobody's wearing a jersey. And then the team essentially didn't communicate anything about it, right? So It's from the fans' perspective, you know, a lot of fingers have been pointed to, shall we say, Kaprizov or others with, shall we say, Russian descent, or is there another quote-unquote bigot in the locker room, right? No, not to name anybody one for one. We don't know that. But the way that it was handled right, you know, there was a lot of, shall we say, one plus one equals two from the fans' perspective. And, you know, unfortunately, the are not the only people that have this happen to so the lgbtq community is feeling quite shall we say kind of pushed away from the nhl right now and you know my stance is you know regardless of the russian government does unless you're in their borders they can't do a damn thing about it so it's mm-hmm. interesting that and i get it like with a player like kaprizov who was in russia essentially all off yeah. despite the fact of not only some geopolitical stuff you know obviously there's still uh, shall i say some conflicts happening in that region uh and him you know obviously and then there was what that fake uh, military card uh story that was running about so there's a lot of other factors that are out there with this now do we know for a fact that it was it's about a russian really no but the NHL has work to do here i think that's the important thing and that is you still have a large part of your fan base that kind of feels betrayed uh, because of what's happening. And again, Russia can do whatever that H E L L that they want. It only matters inside their borders. Now, if that means they're protecting one player on the squad, I don't know if that's the answer I'm going to come out right and say, it. I'm not sure I agree with that stance. Um, because I I don't know, but I I mean, that's what the storyline is. I just don't know.
0: I don't know though. And like I said, I'm, I'm all about, LGBTQ, I'm all about Pride Nights and wearing jerseys and that sort of thing. But I also, after kind of reading some through some of that, you know, let's take Ivan Provorov, right, who very definitively went against the rest of his team in that mm-hmm. particular Pride Night. If that's the difference between you getting to go home and see your family and you getting incarcerated and you can't visit the country you live in for the next five years... <laughs> You, you kind of can qualify, quali- qualify a little bit. I think where we're going with this, uh, you talk about the wild, uh, you know, Jack Jablonski had flown in uh, and talked about yeah. it and they actually called him uh, about a day before and ran through some of their concerns with it kind of related to what I just outlined. And he was okay with it. I think where we need to go with this is not necessarily, uh, you know, is it right or wrong? I think, fans would feel a lot better if there was a lot more of that upfront transparency. If they would have said Tuesday morning, Hey, we're still going to do everything else except for the jerseys. They're still going to be auction. This is kind of the reason why. And if they outline the reason why I think people would feel a little bit better about it. Not that, not to say that they would necessarily agree, but you could at least, it almost reminds me of how people have been slightly refreshed by the XFL's version of the replay review where they've been yeah. sh- actively showing what's going on and you can kind of understand a little bit, not saying you agree with it, but you can at least see the inner workings kind of thing.
1: I'm not sure the team nor the NHL would have been in that position to make that call. I really don't Um here, Cause at the end of the day, they are a minority group that in their eyes, right. And I, I think it's important to preface this from their perspective, right. Is, it just it, it's like instead of making progress there almost seems to be at some times making steps backwards right and we can sit here and we can divulge a jersey it's not that big a deal I think it is I think to some a very big deal for them right because it shows that it's not just a few people here or there it's not people on social media it's the community that they actually live in and more so the greater you know powers that are out there that have the you know ability to influence large masses say who cares? these are still people that live amongst us and we're just trying to offer our hands in solidarity to these people because
0: at the end of the, day, that's all it is. Right. Yeah. And I I don't, I don't, I don't don't disagree. It's just, then what do you say? Like, that's the thing you don't, you don't, um, but I'm saying like, I totally agree with that 110%. But then what do you say? Okay. We agree with all of that. But what if Kirill Kaprizov is petrified to wear a Jersey because he wants to go home this summer? Then then what do you say to that? That that's what I'm just curious about, you know? So
1: think of it from their perspective. Again, it's an entire community versus one player that's getting paid nine plus million dollars. You do think on it, this is going to sound bad. Do you think they give a shit about him? No, they don't. At the end of the day, I think I understand the team's perspective, but the community, they see him as a pro athlete that is paid handsomely for his services and wearing one Jersey is, is It's like, okay, in their eyes, this shouldn't be a big freaking deal, right? Now, I get it. A lot of them maybe don't know that this is something that could be very, shall we say, controversial across international borders. I get that as well. But at the same time, the way that it was handled, like you said, I'm not sure transparency is also the answer either because... Here's what's happened again. The wild, This is not the first time this has happened, right? Uh, the Ivan Provorov situation. Now, granted, I don't know if those are related exactly in the circumstantial like way, but I do think it brings up a point that is with these different sort of theme nights that we've been doing, right? And trying to outreach to, you know, shall I say, grow the game, right? Which is the whole point of these things, right? And to show, like, hey, we're trying to bring the community together. That's what sports is all about: bringing people together and cheer on a common good, right? and to essentially kind of forget everything else that's happening in our world, right? So the way that I look at it is the NHL has some thinking to do. I really do think that. You need to figure out a different way to approach it and to celebrate it. If jerseys and different things are becoming this of a backlash, then you can't keep rowing the same ball down the same alleyway. You just can't. Because if you keep running into these so-called roadblocks, again, the community itself that's part of these groups are looking at it as it's, attack, it's an attack on them, and it probably isn't, but that's how they're going to receive it. So it ends up being an, a reverse PR move for the league than it is intended so. So I really do think there's got to be some soul-searching from the league and how can they continue to celebrate these groups, but maybe in a different way that you don't run into these
0: problems and make a community feel almost, shall I say, worse than what it should be. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually just... I- Pulled up the article. It's actually an athletic staff article, so it's not one particular. Joe Smith, Michael Russo, Mark Lazarus, Lazarus Sean Gentile, Charlie O'Connor, and Tariq El-Bashir and Arthur Staple all contributed to the report.
1: And both, and they, I shouldn't say both, but all of those writers, very senior veteran writers too.
0: Yeah, so um, this is coming um anti-gay laws amended in early december in russia per the new york times to quote make it illegal to spread propaganda about non-traditional sexual relations in all media including social advertising and movies so of course they reference the flyers they reference the wild they reference the rangers um talking about you know their decision as well too and then the penguins on the other side of thing having evgeny malkin um Mm -hmm. And then the Kings and Panthers have mentioned that they're going to wear their jerseys as well, too. So and you can kind of read through this uh, a little bit. Um, and but again, you know,
1: I, I still I, I th- you're allowing Russia's propaganda to win in the U.S. essentially is what's happening here. No, I get it. There's player safety involved. I'm not discounting that. But you're allowing Russia to win that battle. And I just don't think that we should be allowing them to influence the NHL over here, especially when they're trying to influence also another part of the world military, you know, in a military sense, too. So um, and but again, I get it. So what do you do? I'm not saying I have the answer but I'm also saying that the way we're approaching this now is not going to con- it's not a long-term solution nor is it going to work in my
0: opinion. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting again, give it the article or read if you get a chance. Uh, longtime University of Minnesota sociology professor Doug Hartman kind of talked about it and he said um, you know, sports fans need to realize this is probably not an idle threat. Your first reaction is I think where a lot of people had, oh, they're just trying to get out of this, but when they start thinking about it, you know, context of guy, uh, you know, players like Britney Griner for example, um you don't really know, right? You don't really know if Kaprizov goes back this summer and then suddenly they don't let him back out. So, um, yeah, kind of interesting as we pay attention to that and and see what's going on there. But nonetheless... Um... Yeah. Well, other other than this. that, let's circle back to some hockey.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a worthwhile conversation. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have the answers as I don't, Yeah. but we, we can call out the problems and, and also can call out that I don't think it's been handling very well. Uh, speaking of, I should almost a perfect segue. Uh, some organizations have been handling their business really well. How about the Boston Bruins? Well, wow. right? At least um, on the ice. Yeah. Well, okay. So <laughs> You you just have to throw in these possible sidetrack tangent things to the conversation, don't you know? How typical North Dakota. You're North. welcome. I know. So we
0: we don't have much here,
1: so I I know. Uh, but the Boston Bruins have plenty of wins, in fact, we're the fastest team in NHL history to get two fifty wins. Uh, in fact, it in, in game sixty-four. Now mind you the lightning. In 2018 2019, they did it in 66 games, so they beat them in two games. Um, yikes! How about this 59 of five so far in uh, this season? That's just ridiculous. Um, 105 points through 64 games. Uh, they're on pace to break an NHL all time record in the 1977 78 Montreal Canadiens of 132 points in a season. Now, granted, they would. It's it's close, and it's certainly possible. But well, let's not forget, Noah, that uh, the 1819 Tampa Bay Lightning, which I don't think anybody thought would lose a game in the Stanley Cup Finals, they never won one. They got swept by none other than the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, certainly not anticipating the same result because they're not going to a play Columbus, uh, but they are in a stacked you know division and a stacked Eastern Conference. So, a first round knockout by the Bruins isn't actually all that shall we, you know, it's, it's still possible too. So we'll see what happens by Boston having quite the heck of a regular season up there in the Northeast. And uh, uh, they they look to be an unstoppable trade right now. So uh, congrats to them on that milestone. That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. 127 points for the lightning that year, by the way. So just five points shy of tying that NHL record. So we'll have to see if the Bruins get there. They certainly have been good. I mean, you still kind of take a look. In fact, we we've kind of look at this off and on as we've gone essentially through Uh, the season, and I want to pull it up just to make sure I have it right. Yeah, Boston at home has only lost three games in regulation. They are 27-3 and 3 at home, and they are 23-7 and 2 on the road. Um, That's not too bad. In fact, if we go to league standings, no shock, they're at the top of the list. The next is Carolina. Carolina is a full 11 points back of them with the same number of games Mm -hmm. played. I mean, that's just otherworldly. Yeah, the type of run that they've had. So the Bruins, yeah. Um, you know, they might not get to the Stanley Cup final. I really wouldn't want them in the first round. I think that's no. <laughs> that's where I'm going to go with that one. Second to last topic here, uh, just going down the coast, uh, the Washington Capitals signing defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk, three-year contract, average annual value of $3 million, 19 points, career high this season, 146 blocks, leads the Washington Capitals, 66 games, and about 20 minutes average ice time per night. He's 31 years old, Um, a war percentage of 89 percent and some pretty sparkling offensive metrics and not too bad defensive metrics to boot. So congratulations to Van Riemsdyk on that
1: TBR and JVR also uh, make themselves home here in the offseason here. They got a place on Lake Minnetonka. So uh, they skate uh, around the metro. And they also uh, I know. Both of them take part in the beauty league as well. So uh, kind of a state of hockey comparison with them. Yeah. As, uh, you know, they uh, love to be and they're, aren't they Aren't are they Ontario natives? If I remember correctly,
0: <laughs> pretty I, sure. That's not something I have packed away in my role. No, necks. they're <laughs> not. No, JV. No,
1: no, they're American. No, they're
0: Americans JVR.
1: They are either
0: New York or Pennsylvania natives. That's Way too much math. I All I know is that I'll, where, I'll take a look all I know is that where I live, it's flat. And it was very windy and very snowy and very blizzardy this past week. In fact New Jersey,
1: sorry, both Middletown uh, and Jersey.
0: Yeah. Before the Toro game on Saturday, I was shoveling snow for five hours in front just to get fans into the building. So um yeah, I (laughs) <laughs> That's all I've got as far as okay. my geographical knowledge here. Um, but what I can tell you, three injuries on the docket here. Of course, Wild fans won't like the last one, but let's start with the one early last week. Ryan O'Reilly still out at least three more weeks with a broken finger targeting an April 6 return. Ottawa, former Minnesota Wild netminder Cam Talbot out three weeks with a mid-body injury. And Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov. we'll touch on this in the main portion of the show, out three to four weeks with a lower body injury. And welcome in to the main portion of the show, episode 153, Nick Maxim with myself, Noah Grant. Nick, um, you know, before we get into the college hockey world here, I got to be honest with you, probably one of the better um, Minnesota State High School hockey tournaments that we had uh, this year. A couple of really great championship games, that Montemite World game, 6-5. Wow. Uh, Holy smokes, that was one heck of a hockey game. What a finish to that one. Great move to seal the deal. Um. My favorite part of, you know, Monomita, now capturing, I believe, their second title in three years or four. I can't remember if it's three or four. The last time they did was when we were actually calling games together up in Duluth uh, that Mm -hmm. year. Um, My favorite part is watching hockey outlets and hockey YouTube pages that don't normally cover Minnesota high school hockey, one, they talk about the all hair team, which seems to get better and better every year. Yeah. But then listening to all of them butcher the name Matamidi is probably my <laughs> my favorite. But, you know, the number three seed, the number one seed on the other side in Warroad, um, Warroad was definitely the odds on favorite. Did you expect this type of fireworks out of this hockey game?
1: Yes, I did. Uh, How many of these games throughout this tournament, both on the single and the double A side, went to overtime, had uh, wasn't more. Had came back from three down um, against Edina to to push that to overtime. These were some really good hockey games, Uh, kids that laid it all out there. Um, And unfortunately, it's one has to move on. One does not. You know, one season is ended early. So but. Yeah. I mean, just based on what we saw in the first couple of rounds, I mean, there was, you know, you're never out of it until that horn sounds and for row road up three comfortably modern meat storms back, they push it to a single then a double overtime and what an individual effort um, on that rebound opportunity. It's just, that's just, that's just heart, right? I mean, there's, there's skilled plays and there is definitely some skill on that, but you know, when you're, you know, essentially bulldozing your way toward the net and just trying to put whatever you can on that, you know, that's that's heart and soul right there. So that was a hell of a hockey game, uh, and then Minnetonka Dyna, of course, in double A. That one ends in regulation, but also just a very good chess match back and forth between those two squads. Again, both. Uh, legacy franchises. We talk about, you know, state titles and tournament runs and just always seems to be in the mix. Minnetonka was the number one team uh, essentially all year. Uh, He gave them a good fight, but overall Minnetonka just the more deeper team and certainly looked a lot more poised in that championship game when able to hold on two to one in that one, but overall great tournament again, Saturday, Sunday, you know, Friday, Saturday, I should say over 18,000 people in the buildings, uh, yeah, yeah, there. And that speaking of traditions, right, there's always that one, you know, Twitter thread that says, here's the NHL attendance. And Minnesota State High School hockey is in the top two, if not top five, um, throughout the weekend, beating some NHL attendance wise. That always seems to make its way under my timeline as well. So, overall, another great tournament. Again, just one of the better ones is because of just how close they were. There was never a lead that was safe. Uh, just great entertainment and also just great play. By these youngsters. And again, the skill, the speed continues to get better. And then you wonder why Minnesota turns out as many NHL players and talent that they do. Big part of it is what we saw this weekend on display.
0: Yeah, I don't think I want. I would want Monomedi after regulation. They seem to <laughs> really get the job yeah. done when you push into overtime. Third place winner in the single-A bracket was Hermantown over Orono. And then um, St. Cloud Cathedral won the consolation bracket. And then, of course, in double-A, like you mentioned, a uh, very good game between Edina and Minnetonka. Minnetonka, the two-to-one victory, like you mentioned. Third place winner was Andover over Cretan durham Hall, and Hill-Murray was the consolation winner beating Maple Grove. So um, yeah, fantastic hockey, like you mentioned. I think that, you know, every year we go into that state tournament and you think there's no way it can get better than last year. There's no way you can top whatever happened in such and such year. And somehow they seem to, you know, I don't know if they get there every year, but they always put up a good fight and make it close year after year where it's like it's hard to pick, you know, your best moment, your favorite moment, the one game that stands out above all else because there's so many good players, so many good games. And then it's so much fun when you come back later and, you know, like when the Islanders come to town and you look at some, all, some of the Minnesota guys that played in a state tournament, you get to talk about them and they go, Oh yeah, that was back 12 years ago or whatever it was. And it's like, Holy smokes. You know, this you know young kid who played in a high school tournament is now, you know, of seasoned veteran NHLer, I think it's just so much fun, uh, you know, to take a look at tournament weekend, Same with Hockey Day Minnesota too, when you get to see that kind of progression between the new players coming in and the guys who have kind of come before them. Uh, it's been very impressive. So, like you mentioned, another very good Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament on the boys' side. But college hockey world here, Nick, we are getting down to the wire here. One more week of conference tournaments uh, after, of course, today let's get you caught up in what happened. Our last regular season action actually did end this weekend. We had two independent matchups to start off with. Yeah. Uh, So long Island, Arizona state ASU winning six, three, and then two to one in overtime. How about this one? Lindenwood versus Anchorage in Alaska. I am headed there tomorrow. UAA winning eight to seven in a shootout on Friday night, and then four to three in overtime on Saturday the Seawolves carried a lead of 4-1 to one and 6-3 to three at one point. Uh, Lindenwood tied that game with about three minutes to play. Then UAA scores with about two minutes left to play to take a 7-6 lead. And then Lindenwood tied it again with 32 seconds left to send that one to the extra oh. session. I mean, you got your money's worth <laughs> if you yeah. paid for that hockey game. So those uh, all four of those teams, of course, finished for the season. Long Island, ASU, Lindenwood, and Anchorage. But Anchorage, a very good second half to the season from what we kind of saw from the first half. So the Seawolves making a case hopefully to have a better push next season, but let's get into the playoffs here. Big 10 tournament here, Uh, Ohio state playing Michigan. It was Michigan seven to three and Michigan state, no match for the Minnesota golden Gophers, a great crowd on hand, despite the high school tournament weekend. uh, And despite what people want to say on Twitter, apparently five to one was the final. Yeah. I say that photo was taken 90 minutes before puck drop and that building was largely yep. full um gophers yep, exactly. win five to one in that one that sets up a big matchup michigan will visit minnesota next week for the big 10 championship we'll touch on that in a few moments ccha northern michigan bit of an upset for them as the four seed beating michigan tech handily yes, four yeah. to nothing the wildcats suddenly staying alive here um leave it to a at to know about magic you know after the regular season um yep. What can we say? Number six, Ferris State, no match for Mankato, though, seven to two. The final here, Mankato pushing themselves up not comfortably, but right now in a pairwise location, should conference tournaments go their way next week. Uh Hockey East here, we had a couple of games that were the preliminary qualifiers to the regular matchups. So Vermont beating Maine four to two. They then got Boston University and BU beat them handily seven to three. The Only matchup that did not have a preliminary game was UMass Lowell and UConn as the four and five seeds. UMass Lowell two to one victory over the UConn Huskies. Their season is done, I believe. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what a kind of fall from grace they had in the second half of the season. Uh, Mm -hmm. Providence, Beating New Hampshire two to one in overtime, and then beating Northeastern by the same score, uh, just slowly inching their way through that Hockey East tournament onto the next round, and then Boston College beating UMass five to two, and then Merrimack beats them one to nothing in double overtime uh, mm-hmm. to move through. Merrimack still keeping their tournament hopes alive as well too. ECAC tournament. That's our second to last tournament in the non-NCAC portion here. Uh, number ten, Yale was bested by Quinnipiac pretty handily, outscored nine to two over two games. Princeton swept by Harvard twelve to two was the combined score through those two games. Clarkson swept by Cornell uh, two to one and three to one were the scores in that one. Pretty close matchup. Same with Colgate, number five sweeping number four Saint Lawrence four to three in overtime and then three to two in regulation. So the ECAC. Um, offers a lot of intrigue with teams that are kind of just on the outside looking in same with hockey east I think those are going to be your two your two brackets that have the most potential for, pushing some teams out. We're looking at you, the Alaskan and nooks who have now dropped to 15 in the pairwise, So they can't Thanks. afford any, any upsets, unfortunately in their bid uh, for the tournament, and then Atlantic hockey. Oh boy. Uh, Holy yeah. cross one, nothing victory in overtime. Then they lose four to three to RIT in overtime. And then they win handily today, five to one. They will get Canisius who lost the first night to Niagara by a score of two to one, and then won five to one and four to two. They will get each other in the Atlantic hockey championship championship next saturday um yeah those are the number 43 and 44 teams in the country matching up um so yeah i think it's interesting um as we talk about atlantic hockey why don't we start with that tournament championship for what's on tap i guess um holy cross is the low seed they are 44 Canisius is the host seat at 43. That game is at 335 Saturday. All of, all of these times are central times when we list them. So um, should Holy Cross win this game, it is pretty much likely that they will get the Minnesota Golden Gophers in Fargo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was there in 2006, and what a wild ride that was. I would like to see that matchup. Uh, it's funny. My mom was saying, she goes, she goes, yeah, maybe it could be the rematch, the revenge game for Minnesota. And I said, mom, there's no coming back from that. This is not a revenge game. Holy Cross will own that forever and ever and ever. That was the, the original, the OG first NCAA regional upset like that, mm-hmm. you know, same with when AIC beat the best St. Cloud state team in history. Mm-hmm. Even if St. Cloud beats AIC in a tournament in five years down the road, AIC will always have that. That's just how those things go. However, I would like to see that matchup because you would definitely get a bunch of throwbacks from that game because you better believe that would be part of the pre-pack when they would get ready for that regional. We get to see some of that throwback from that game back in 2006. If you ever get a chance, go on YouTube, listen to the radio announcers for Holy Cross. It's out there. It's pretty impressive. Do you think Holy Cross gets it done against 43 Canisius, or do you have absolutely no idea what to expect? At this into- point,
1: no idea. Because um, whoever comes out of that right is going to have their hands full. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, they know the draw that they're getting. Um, so, I mean, but that also makes them incredibly dangerous, right? They're kind of playing with house money. Um, but how fitting would it be if Holy Cross did do that, and they were the ones to knock the golfers off. Oh the,
0: man, you mean? It's, it's no way gonna happen. Um, so they say, yeah, just, just like you know, AIC, there was no way they were gonna, you know, yeah,
1: no way, but <laughs> at, at the same time, you know. Isn't that what, you know, March Madness is all about? The reason why they call it madness, right? No, and that is, you just, you still got to go out there and play 60 minutes of hockey and just never know what's going to happen. Again, I asked St. Cloud and AIC. Again, you just, you got to punch your ticket and then all bets are off, you know. At the end of the day, I mean, we all, especially Huskies fans, I know we're going to talk about their results of this past weekend. But yeah. in 2021, I don't think anybody was predicting that that team would make it to a national championship game uh, just based on the body of work that they had in front of them, right? So sometimes you just got to, you know, you get on a roll at the right time or maybe it's just the right matchup at the right time. Um, you got to have a lot of things that go your way. And sometimes even though the best skilled and so we say the best team via record you know is always the odds on favorite and there's no question the gophers have both of that they have you know a plethora of talent um, and are coached very well but uh, again just based on the environment you know based on you know the emotions that get there you you never know so yeah
0: you do never know i i think minnesota is the only team when i look through the pairwise right now that i say is about as unclose to untouchable as you can get and yep. they're not even that untouchable, depending on how you get them on a given day or weekend, potentially. Sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, this is all bets are off and the parity has been extreme this year. You can't count anybody out here. And that's why I think like if you're Alaska sitting at 15 in the pairwise, you're shaking in your boots because we're gonna go through these conference tournaments, and so many of these teams that are still outside of that bubble looking in that have a chance to do some damage. By our estimation, uh, you've got one, two, three, four, five conferences that have an opportunity to push somebody in that is not in the top 16 or top 15 some people out that yeah, are yeah. In there right now. So yeah, exactly. So I uh, win or go home. It's kind of an important thing during playoff time, but yep. uh, big 10 championship. This will be at seven o'clock on Saturday. Number four, Michigan faces number one, Minnesota. So when I read these rankings off, like I said, Atlantic hockey, 44, Holy cross 43 Canisius. Those are the pairwise rankings as of Sunday night. At just after nine o'clock okay so if you're wondering what i'm reading off i'm reading those off so people can get an idea of where we're at heading into the last week before selection sunday so number four michigan number one minnesota Hmm, who wins this one nick
1: Minnesota I, th- I think there's a especially for some of the of uh, the players that were there last year I think there is a bad taste in their mouth and to them this is a necessary step to get them prepared for a deep tournament run um, now granted if they lose to Michigan it 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 can we say it almost means nothing I yeah. mean honestly uh, but you know that the players are looking at it that way um, I know that they want sort of some vengeance there so I think Minnesota gets the job done here and takes home their Big Ten title
0: yeah, I definitely agree. I this Gophers team, you know, we kind of wondered if they would be able to shake off the rust a little bit. They don't respond well after being off for a week or off for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. They showed no signs of that against Michigan State, which I know the Spartans are not the premier cream of the crop, but I mean, not a push did, either. They did what they had to do. Um yeah. so the Gophers, that's going to be a big time matchup. Might even be a Big 10 matchup, as some would say. Um yikes. Huh. Uh Anyway, CCHA championship that one's going to be at five oh seven on Saturday. So you can actually, if you wanted to, I mean, you're going to be taking a lot of hockey. But CCHA championship starts about two hours before the Big Ten game. That will be number twenty seven Northern Michigan against number thirteen Mankato. I honestly think, and I don't, I, I haven't plugged in the math to see if it would change Mankato drastically, but I think if you're the Mavs and Northern I Michigan have to win, I agree. I think whoever. Whoever wants to make the big dance, you just have to win. win. Like it's not, it's not where Mankato can lose and feel very comfortable about that. Um, I, I don't know about this matchup, Nick. The CCHA has given us a roller coaster ride. I think if you asked me two weeks ago, I'd say Mankato six nothing. But now that we enter this week, I could see this one going overtime.
1: At the end of it, I think Northern Michigan has put themselves in a conversation where, like you said, I think a lot of people thought, especially the second half, canal really started to find its stride. Uh, they finally were getting, shall I say, the right contributions from the right people at the right time. Uh, Northern Michigan has, uh, shall we say, lit the propane tank the last three weeks, yeah, and they're burning hot right now. Um, very good offensively. I mean, my gosh, the last four weeks, I think they've scored over 25 of close to 30 goals. Uh, defense has been very, very good. Um, and again, uh, our friend Ryan Steeking from MNCAA, a lot of people were maybe surprised at the Michigan Tech upset, but he said it's us. no, wait a second, St. Thomas kind of exposed Michigan Tech and some of their deficiencies on the defensive side of the pocket in northern Michigan. You know uh, a good film session when you see one, right? And you, there was definitely kind of obvious for nothing. They handled their business quite well, um, so I don't know. This this is a toss up. I mean, the only thing that you would not hope for is an overtime goal where the puck crosses below the goal, and then there's an hour delay, and then the refs left the building. I mean, that's. I mean, honestly, is that really what we're hoping for? Is just not for this to go to overtime. Um, you wonder if Don Lucia is going to be not just in the building, but is he going to be in the replay room after every freaking goal? I bet he will be.
0: Oh yeah. He'll be dialed in on the headset for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Michigan tech is at, um, at 10 right now. Like I said, realistically, I think if you're 11 or above, you're safe. Everybody else is not in a good spot. So, um, Minnesota, Quinnipiac, Denver, Michigan, BU, those are your top five. Harvard St. Cloud is at seven Mm -hmm. Penn state, Ohio state michigan tech and then western michigan that's your top 11 those teams are likely and tech didn't really drop too much after that loss to northern michigan so no. it didn't it didn't hurt them um other than that if you're cornell mankato merrimack alaska i mean you're shaking, you're in shaking. your boots yeah. number 16 is michigan state who of course is done so i mean really those teams cornell Minnesota state Merrimack all have a chance to do something about it. Alaska waiting in the wings, hoping that the top seeds continue to roll and, you know, go against, go against whatever that may be. Hockey East and ECAC championships. These ones are going to offer a lot of intrigue because they could, anybody could come out of this. Um, TD garden in Boston is the hockey East championship. This starts at three o'clock on Friday. Number 24 Providence gets number five, Boston university. If you're an Alaska fan, You know who you're cheering for. And then at 6.30 on Friday, it is number 25, UMass Lowell, and number 14, Merrimack. Uh, If you're in a Nooks fan, Merrimack, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Um, And then 6 o'clock on Saturday will be the championship between the winners of those two games. In the ECAC championship, this will be at the 1980 rink in Lake Placid. Number 28, Colgate gets number 2, Quinnipiac, at 3 o'clock on Friday. Wouldn't think you'd want to choose. Q you if you're an Alaska fan and nope. then you'd be and then you'd be what you wouldn't want to choose Quinnipiac if you're an Alaska fan I would no I mean like you wouldn't want to bet against them oh okay yeah I was gonna say I was like I was like you just you like the intrigue apparently um and I mean, then <laughs> <laughs> and then number six Harvard gets number 12 Cornell that one's at 6 30 on Friday and then this game for the ECAC championship is half an hour after The Hockey East Championship game starts. This one's at 630 on Saturday. And then we already mentioned Atlantic Hockey as well. The NCAA start Thursday, the 23rd, following this selection Sunday. Um, I've been having a tough time figuring out which games start which. All I can tell is I think the games in Fargo are for sure going to be on Thursday, but I can't tell if it's Manchester or Bridgeport that are actually going to be the other Thursday matchups. I've looked at multiple websites and each of them has something different. Um, depending on the seating. So I think the only safe one to bet is that Minnesota's bracket, which I'm assuming they're going to likely end up in Fargo, will probably be the one that will start us off on Thursday at some point. But other than that, I can't really tell. Um, But yeah. Let's move over to the NCHC here. We've got one more conference here to get primed and ready for conference action here. Uh best of three series, of course, for the NCHC quarterfinals. And this was about as NCHC 2022 yeah. 23 as it got. Yep. Uh number eight, Miami, number one. Denver, no surprise here. Denver outscoring them six to two and seven to two on the weekend. Um, Miami was that Redhawks team was just never really no a match for that Denver team. Uh, it's yeah. going to be a good Pio's team. That's going to enter the frozen Faceoff. Number seven, CC number two, Western Michigan. Oh, this was awesome. CC three to one in the first night, they were down one, nothing with about six minutes to play. They had killed off a major penalty and Caden and looked unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 72 seconds later, CC was up three to one uh, yep. in that hockey game. And then yesterday, uh, they actually carry a lead. Western Michigan had to tie it two to two in the third period. And then CC a nice gritty goal. Um, I believe it was. Matthew uh, Gleason. Gleason, yeah. That was able to crash the net and pot home the rebound for the three to two overtime victory. The tigers are still alive right now. Um, and we'll get mm-hmm. into the seedings a little bit, but they actually get Denver um, yep. in their first matchup. So that, I mean, I'd like to say, that we were surprised that the Tigers got out of this series. I think the surprise came that it came in two games. I think we probably would have expected this one to go the full distance if that were the case. Um, How about Chris Mayott's club? <laughs> so it is kind of surprising in
1: the sense where, you know, CC actually started off the season relatively good, right? And then shall we say, end of November, being December, they kind of started to tail off a bit. And shall we say our hearts kind of sank a little bit as, you know, shall we say proxy CC fans. We were so high on them. Right. And then second half was, shall we say, more of the CC that we have seen in the recent past. Just, you know, games that maybe kind of got away from them, uh, not finishing off opponents. And then for whatever reason, backs against the wall and for a Western Michigan squad. What kind of wonder a club has got some questions to answer right after this weekend? Now, granted, Western Michigan, again, I think at 11, I remember in the Parawise, uh, not actual locks, but virtually pretty safe. Right. Um, they're going to be waiting around for a couple of weeks before they play hockey. again. And you talk about breaks. Uh, that's that's a tough one for the Broncos. Right. Yeah. But holy cow. CC. Um, good for them. Let's just put it that way. Good yeah. for them. Chris Mayotte, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Chris Mayotte is a wonderful hockey coach. He's a wonderful human being. There's a lot of great people, a lot of great players in that CC squad. And if anybody's done a little bit of looking around their recruiting classes that are coming up, yeah, they've got some pretty damn good recruits coming in too. So watch out for this Tiger squad. Now, granted, the gold pan matchup now in St. Paul, uh, Denver has sort f- yeah. of owned that the last uh, quite a bit. So if if they can get through that game, though, you, you, you know what? Holy cow. And yeah. the last time I covered CC in a playoff, I actually did cover them back in 2013. I actually covered them upsetting the Golden golfers who Holy again were the favorites in the WCHA, the final, final five of that. Yes, I said that twice in a row. I don't care. Um, CC uh, essentially blanked the golfers who had like four or five power plays. They killed them off. Uh, Gophers, I mean, they outshot them like 40 two to like 16 or 17 but again cc just clogged the middle there was no shooting lanes or blocking shots uh so when cc gets to a, like these situations they've tended to continue to surprise people so you can't count out the tigers the only problem is is that again these two teams know each other very well and very recently again before the playoffs these two teams played a home and home again the gold pan and it was denver that handled their business pretty well but Awesome to see CC back, you know, in sort of like a more of a, a deeper tournament run. Uh, this is a great step for them. And Chris me that will certainly do whims and, and wonders for them in their recruiting stance. But uh, good for them. It's going to be fun to see him in St. Paul next weekend, which I will be at. So I'm going yeah. to see that.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. I'm trying to take a look here. I, I want to see if I can pull it up real quick. This is only uh, the second time that. Colorado college has made the NCAA frozen Faceoff, and I want to make sure that the other one wasn't the COVID thing. So I'm going through each year here, the first two years, they did not make it. Don't see them in 2016. I'm going to guess that might be the
1: minute to St. Paul.
0: Yeah. The only time, um, that they've made the tournament is I believe when everybody, Oh, actually just kidding. Actually, 2019, they actually played St. Cloud.
1: That's right. They, uh... yeah.
0: That's right. They were they were the sixth seed, and they had upset Western Michigan of all mm-hmm. teams. That one took three. They won two to one the first night, lost five to two the second time, and how about that winning three to two on the third night? That's right. I forgot they had the Huskies. Probably should have known yep. that. But um, good to see Saint Cloud back in Saint Paul, by the way, after a recent hiatus, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before we uh, let me pull up, where oh, I was going to mention Western Michigan. I wanted to see who they had. Before they came through. So in February, they started with Miami. They had four victories against Minnesota Duluth and Colorado College. And then they lost twice to Denver. And then they had Miami. They won five, nothing the first night and five to four in overtime in Miami, the second night before having Colorado College. So I don't know if that was a factor. I can't imagine, but yeah, well. Uh, this is college hockey. Anything you can imagine. No, I know. But. It probably happened, right? Um, yeah. Or it's about to. Um, number six, North Dakota. Number three, Omaha. Both of these teams fighting for their lives. Oh, um, yeah, this one was tough oh, to boy. watch uh, just a couple hours ago from when we're recording the show. UNO winning the first night two to one. They lose to North Dakota three to one the second night. And they enter the third period of Sunday's game tied two to two. And they lose five to two, giving up two markers in the last five minutes. Um, North Dakota advances the Omaha Mavericks for what was a very good in-conference season, just not quite enough. Still sitting in the top 20 in the pairwise, just wasn't good enough. And just like that, this Mavs team that suddenly surprised us has suddenly dwindled off into the sunset, so to speak. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know that. Omaha necessarily played bad or did North Dakota finally kind of wake up a little bit? I mean,
1: I think a bit of both, honestly, and North Dakota has, you know, their biggest Achilles heel this year has been defense. Uh, Their offense has been there, especially about the last Two thirds of the season. I get a lot of freshmen coming in, very highly touted freshmen again. Jackson Blake, I think, if I remember correctly, one of the favorites to win NCHC freshman of the year. Somehow Ben Steves is not on that list. And I'm still curious as to why he yeah. was not on that list. I think that's absolutely to Max Veach, another friend of us at MNCAA. That's a sham, honestly. He should be on that list over twenty goals. First UMD Bulldog player to a match over twenty and this fresh me since going back to the golden uh, the golden Brett Brett Hole. So uh Brett interesting. Larson. Yeah, that, that's the other one. No, this Brett has hair, so it's fine.
0: Uh, <laughs> he, I, he, had, he had hair back in the day, I guess. He did.
1: But uh, <laughs> we're talking now. so. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but North Dakota has figured out some things defensively, too, here later on. Uh, and again, Omaha has been sort of the thorn in UND's side. So yeah. a little bit of, you know, for North Dakota, this is more than just advancing back to St. Paul. Ah, uh, which is going to be just well more green on
0: St. Patrick. You know, I. Policies. I mean, first of all, I thought Nebraska Omaha the first night. I thought they were pretty much in, honestly. um, yeah. Even with the tight score, I'll tell you what, though. Um, don't kid yourself. The NCHC is absolutely licking their chops at the fact that North Dakota won this series. Oh, we know this. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. that they're going to travel very well. Um, yep. their, their first opponent in the frozen face-off might not like it so much though. Um, uh, yeah. How about, um, how about we, how about we, you know, if you live in the Granite city, maybe, you know, drive an hour and a half South and see what happens. Uh, St. Cloud, number four, facing number five Duluth, It was the Huskies the first night, three to one, they lose five to one in night number two, but statistically the game did not reflect that at all. Close. And then three to one again today for the Huskies, they are back the frozen face off in St. Paul. Um, Yes. I mean, you know, even the loss on Saturday was not uh, like St. Cloud played three good hockey games this weekend. Granted, did we talk about how the second period has been the worst period for the Huskies? Yes. Didn't didn't really pick them up on Saturday. Really did today on Sunday though. I mean, Mm -hmm. so, but let's rewind the clock all the way back to Friday. The only game I have an actual attendance for 2620, of course, tournaments and other things will do that to you three to one the huskies win this one josh lidkey gets on the board first before duluth answers with a power play goal then a four on four goal from micah miller andre Treyball, aiden spellacy uh tally the assist there. huskies enter uh the third period up two to one and they cap it off with an empty netter micah miller second of the game fourth of the season from brendan bushy um, at the 1833 mark um yeah so the Huskies get used to this trend the face off percentages were electric again this weekend for them against this Bulldog club 36 for 58 this was uh ironically enough this was the <laughs> this was the worst face off Percentage for the Huskies all weekend. Mm -hmm. 62.1%. How about that? Shots 25 aside. Dominic Bassi stopping 24 of 25 for a 960. Zach Stasekall 22 of 24 for a 917. On Saturday... The Luth Bulldogs win 5-1. to one. They ride three second period goals in a very short span, about three and a half minutes. I believe it was three minutes and 33 seconds uh, that they score three goals in the second to take this one. The lone goal coming from Micah Miller. What a weekend he had. Kyler mm-hmm. Kupka, Aiden spellacy telling his second assist of the weekend. Huskies outshoot the Bulldogs by 12, 35-23, and are 40 for 53 in the faceoff dot for a 75.5% clip. Mm -hmm. Dominic Bassey stopping 18 of 22 for an 818 and Zach Stasekall had a 971 stopping 34 of 35 good goaltending untimely second period goals and apparently the faceoff dot doesn't determine all um no was this a I mean empty netter at the end so really a four to one game was Mm -hmm. this game as wide open as the score indicated or was it a bit of like Miami 2.0 where they allow three goals in quick succession couldn't ever recover
1: that's really what it is, right, is you played 57 minutes of good hockey and three minutes of your worst, right? And unfortunately, in those three minutes, UMD makes you pay, right? And that's what playoff hockey is, right, is when you have even sometimes those small stretches, good teams will make you, uh, shall we say, go back to the bench and wishing to redo those minutes because that's what UMD did, right? Um, so to your point, right, It's 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 it sucks because we take the full 180 minutes over the weekend. Largely, very good weekend, right? Um, some of the more consistent performances we've seen out of this Husky squats in what February, if not six weeks, seven weeks, yeah. Um, so it's it's been that long, and you know, one thing that UMD and and I should say that St. Cloud showed us this weekend is not only could they, you know, play the game with speed that we know with Huskies, the speed and skill game, but they also. Took a beating the last two games, right? UMD um, was out there to punish, uh, you know, the Huskies physically, and they were able to to match it and at least overcome it, right? But to your point, when you those three minute little, you know, blips, uh, unfortunately, as you move further and further into March and then into April, uh, you can't have those, right? It's those it's those mm-hmm. times where those teams are most likely going to make you pay, and the worst part is, is that similar thing that happened on Saturday. You're not going to get an opportunity to climb back into hockey games. Uh, those teams are just become too good at locking things down. So um, it's a lesson learned, right? And I think St. Cloud um, is the is the beneficiary of being uh, the team that is going to go to St. Paul, at least for one more game uh, next weekend and, you know, be able to say, okay, you know, that we learned a lesson now, let's continue to play hockey, right? I think it's so important that they got here, Um no, granted, you know, what they do against Nodak, uh, those two teams haven't had some NCHC yeah. the face off, you know, magic there. Um, how about that overtime winner, Nick Paling uh, back in 2018? Oh, my goodness, that was nasty. Uh, but yeah, overall, great weekend. Uh, but you got to limit those, you know, those stretches of, of just bad, essentially structured hockey. And that's what it was. And it's just one of those deals where, and maybe no, I'll
0: ask you this. After one goes in, yeah, you've got to be able to mentally reset. That's exactly mental, where I was going right. to go. Is yep. you have to, and sometimes it, it that falls on the coaching staff to take a timeout and reset. But, you know, mm-hmm. that was really, you know, like you mentioned, out of 180 minutes of hockey, I would say 172 minutes of it was controlled, you know, where yeah. the Huskies looked like they, they were their old selves again. And granted, I'm missing a couple of bodies in their lineup. Josh Lidke is scratched today. Um, yeah. By the way, on Sunday, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. The Huskies do win three to one. The Duluth Bulldogs are done for the season. Yeah. Um, Luke Lohite got the scoring started 38 seconds in period number two. And then it was the Huskies six minutes later, a pair of goals, 14 seconds apart. Cooper Wiley, his second of the year. Adam Ingram, seventh. Vieti Miettinen at Mason Solquist um, assisting on the first goal. And then Solquist on the second one as well. And then Grant Deshaun and Kyler Kupka finding Grant Cruikshank for his 21st of the year, just six minutes later as well. The Huskies take the victory. out shooting Duluth 32-27. Faceoff percentage was 68.3%. The Huskies won 41 of 60. They only lost 19 faceoffs. How about this, Nick? Um, In fact, let's do some quick math here. I I don't know if I can. Yeah, it would be in 113 faceoffs over the past two games, the Huskies have only lost 19 plus 13, 20. What would that be? 19 20. plus 13, 32. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's how many they've lost in, you know, 113 face-off. That's pretty impressive, all things considered. Um, Jackson Castor stopping 26 to 27, had a nine six three. Zach Stasekall, twenty-nine of thirty-two for a nine oh six. Jackson Caster looked pretty good today as well, too. I the Huskies goaltending returning to form a little bit. A lot of people think it's Dominic Bassey's net to have, but You know, I think I don't know. I think Jackson Castor still has made a case to at least get a look. I wonder, you know, should hopefully the Huskies win their first game down in St. Paul next week? I wonder if they go with them both, you know, or if they're going to finally stick with one guy and if or if they're going to stick with one guy and say, all right, this is what we're going with. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk about that Frozen Faceoff, shall we? The quarterfinal game starting off number thirty-six in the country, Colorado College versus number three. Uh, I almost said Duluth, Denver. Um, this game will be at four o'clock on Friday. So yep. CC on the outside looking in and then the other quarterfinal game uh, at 730 p.m. The primetime game on Friday, number 18, North Dakota on the outside looking in fighting for their playoff lives yep. against number seven, St. Cloud State, the Huskies um if you're a St. Cloud fan i know we talked about getting to the herbrook's national hockey center now meander your way the other direction south of the granite city cuz that's a uh, game that we could desperately use some noise because it's going to be loud yes. in that building.
1: And I think it's important to point out, Noah, too, uh, for the NCHC, Fan Fest is back this year. Yeah. Um, so for the last couple of years, because of some obvious things, some COVID and some different things, uh, they hadn't had, you know, sort of those parking lot type things. Uh, that's back. Uh, also, if you're going to be coming down for the weekend on Thursday, it's actually a fan skate. You can actually skate on the Excel Energy Center ice, that's seven o'clock on Thursday. Um, just have to bring your own skates. Um, I think you have to huh. sign a waiver. Um, if you're if you're Noah Grant, you might want to bring your helmet because we don't want you to <laughs> fall and bust your head open. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, from seven to eight thirty um, is the uh, the fan fest at least starting on Thursday, and then plenty of other activities Friday and Saturday. So get out! Um, it's going to be St. Patrick's Day weekend. There'll be lots of green, unfortunately, because they travel. So, please, let's, let's make it more Christmas color y. Can we put some red in there? So, yeah. I mean, come on.
0: That's so, a tough weekend to have St. Patty's Day, too, it's right? Weekend, yeah. You know, I mean, it's a good otherwise, but the fact that, you know, the color that you're supposed to be required to wear, you know, here's the thing, though pinch whoever the heck you want if you know what color green. If, it, if it's Royal Kelly, yeah. Yeah. A little pinchy pinch when you're walking by Um, 738 Saturday is the championship game as well. So pay attention to yep. that, I imagine. And I hope Huskies fans will be paying attention to that because that would mean very good things. Um, Pairwise changes. We already kind of talked about that. There's really about three teams for sure that are kind of shaking in their boots that still have their destiny. They have to, left to be played. Fourth one would be Alaska. And then there might be some teams sitting around like eight or nine that, you know, maybe want to make sure that they take care of business and don't drop too far in their single-game right. sets. So, um, yeah, a chalky on the men's side. We are in for a wild ride. WCHA women's recap here. We still have three WCHA teams left. We had the NCAA regionals going on last week, March 9th through the 11th. Let's start in Columbus. It was Quinnipiac and Penn state Quinnipiac winning three, two in triple overtime wow. uh, to get their matchup with Ohio state did not go well. The Buckeyes win five to two and they are off to the frozen Four. same with the hockey East setup up on the men's side. There was one bracket, the number four and number five seats that did not have a preliminary play in game. That was Yale and Northeastern. Northeastern was actually the lower seed at number five. They win four to one. They are in. In the bottom half of the bracket, the Hamilton bracket, Wisconsin trouncing Long Island nine to one. Mm -hmm. Wasn't even close. And then Wisconsin beating number three Colgate four to two. So – two WCHA teams in already. And then Minneapolis Duluth beating Clarkson two to nothing. So, you know, there's a third one. You just didn't know who it was going to be. And the Bulldogs could not make it back home to Amsoil. It was the Gophers, the number two seed winning three to nothing. Um, Fair showing for the Bulldogs. All things considered. I mean, that Gophers team in playoff time is not a matchup anyone would Anybody want wants, nope. you know and i think that it's kind of interesting the gophers actually probably get the slightly worse matchup at least to start you know because ohio is the top seed um ohio state will start us off okay the first game is on friday march 17th this one is at 2 30 on friday Northeastern nice. will be their visiting team ohio state will be the home team and then at six o'clock on friday wisconsin is the road team against the Minnesota golden gophers. Then we wait until Sunday, 4 PM on Sunday, the winners of those two teams make it to the big dance. Nick, we actually didn't do this on the men's side. I was going to do it. And then I, and then we didn't. Um, yep. So why don't we do it here? And we'll do it on the women's side too. NCHD frozen face off and women's frozen Four. a lot of, a lot of freezing going on here. Apparently yep. who wins each game, who wins the whole shebang. Let's start with the NCHC.
1: Oof! I'm gonna go with Denver to win the <laughs> NCHC. Um, okay, that's the easy pick. I know. Who but who, who do they beat? They're gonna beat St. Cloud. Okay. They're gonna beat St. Cloud. Um, and then in the NCAA women's side, the Frozen Four up there, it's gonna be the Gophers beating Ohio State. Um, I know Ohio State is uh, a good team. I just think the Gophers this time of year again, they're just They're a playoff experienced squad. They have a playoff experience coach. To me, they're just you can't really bet against them a lot. So I'm gonna go with the Govers over the Buckeyes
0: Yeah. Um, um, am I about to go out on a limb here? I think I am. Oh, there's Um, a shock. Um
1: you never you've never done that before in your life.
0: Yeah, this is a bit of a reach, but I just think with the momentum from last weekend, I think in overtime. In the championship game of the NCHC Frozen Faceoff, the Colorado College Tigers beat St. Cloud State to go to the NCAAs.
1: So you have, just to make sure we're clear, you're the Tigers yes. beating Denver. Yes. yes. Now, there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. We both saw how Denver approached exactly the NCHC Frozen Faceoff exactly. last year. It, they definitely did not play David Carl style hockey.
0: They have nothing granted, to play for.
1: Yeah. granted that also won them a national championship. So, yeah. But you kind of wonder, too, if he's going to approach it differently this year. Is it a different group? Maybe do they need that extra push? I don't know. Um, but that's actually more feasible than I think people may think.
0: You know, I just think the desperation you're going to see from Chris Mayott's team, they get through that first game. I hate to say it, Huskies fans, but... Regardless of who comes out of it, I still think St. Cloud beats North Dakota, but that's a desperate Mm -hmm. hockey team in the Fighting Hawks that's going to be, you know, hungry for bear, too. I think whoever comes out of that other side of the bracket, CC can handle both of those teams in a one game matchup. They certainly can. Um, I think the Tigers find a little bit of magic here. Um, Now, would that be like, now, will I be the first one to say, I could be totally wrong and D you could win five, nothing and it could not even be a question. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this Tigers team, especially what they showed last weekend, they harness that magic. They keep their heads about them and they make it a hockey game on that Friday night at four o'clock. I think they've got a legitimate chance to actually push their way all the way through. It's been a while since we've seen them in the NCAA in fact, I don't even remember the last time it had to have been WCHA. Yeah, know, for sure. Um, for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to say 4-3 CC over St. Cloud in overtime. In the NCAA championship game. Well,
1: you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, um, you are you are what they call the outlier bets. there down in Vegas. Yeah. You
0: ever, you ever see the bell curve, and you wonder where each end of the bell curve ends? I'm on one of those ends right now, for sure. But honestly, are you it's even on the, the age at that point, I and mean, <sighs> yeah, I might be on the wrong bell curve. Yeah, um, you might. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is, it, it's not totally out of the question. Is it going to take a perfect mix? Yes, but it's I think. Happened. But I think you look at this. I mean, North Dakota and CC have two things going for them that St. Cloud and Denver both don't. Is that they that's have a need sure. to play desperation hockey exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that North Dakota matchup is going to be a tough one too. I don't know that St. Cloud is yep. going to get out of that one easy. That might be a one or two goal hockey game. It might um, be. This might. And, be. I,
1: and honestly, you know what? If it's a lower scoring game, I think that favors St. Cloud. Yeah, I really do. Uh, if it opens up uh, North Dakota, if they get their offense rolling, that's going to be where. I think it favors the Fighting Hawks. So if they can keep it low scoring, almost play, shall we say, a page out of the, the Duluth play, you know, playoff book, I think that actually would favor them in this matchup just to kind of slow them down because what really has gotten North Dakota to this point is their offense has sort of masked their defensive deficiencies at times. If you can take their offense out of the picture, I really do think that saint Cloud's got a fighting chance. But as you mentioned, it's, it's going to be quite the battle with the Fighting Hawks, you're trying to get back to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be uh, leaving it all out there in St. Paul. They they love being there. Their fan base loves being there. Um, it's going to be some great, intense hockey.
0: Yeah, I mean, three of these four teams, I think at the beginning of the year, we would have expected them to be in this tournament. I don't know that we would have necessarily picked the order that they would have been in or the pairwise locations. locations. Um, mm-hmm. This has a lot of intrigue. It should be a good weekend. Very excited for that one to start. As far as the women's side, this is our last week of hockey on the women's side for division yep. one women's hockey. Like you mentioned the frozen Four. Northeastern has Ohio state. I think Ohio wins this one pretty handily. I'm going to go like five, nothing, six, nothing. Um, I don't know that it's going to be particularly close. Although this Northeastern team has shown in the past that they, you know, have had a good chance so but i think that buckeyes team is just too good wisconsin minnesota if there's one team that minnesota has struggled with besides duluth it's been wisconsin and to a lesser extent ohio i mean minnesota the the three teams that they've struggled the most with this season they have the potential to get all three of them you know in this Mm -hmm. in this uh soiree here i do think the gophers win i agree with you um i think it's going to be a low scoring game three two maybe something like that and then i'm with you as well i think that bracket you know, whoever comes out of the Wisconsin-Minnesota bracket gets the victory. Ohio State is a great team; there's no doubt about that. But I think that bracket has kind of just prepared whoever comes out of it to be ready and kind of loaded for bear. Ohio State maybe hasn't had the toughest test necessarily mm-hmm. on the top half of their bracket. Um, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go five to two Minnesota over Ohio State. So I think we are in agreement in that one. I think this Gophers team is just too good. Wisconsin. Has kind of taken a step back ever so slightly this year, but saying they, saying they've taken a step back and they're <laughs> in the <laughs> frozen Not forest. Much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but women's hockey. Keep you keep you tuned in here. Stick around, of course, for our extra eye session. We're going to take a look at St. Cloud State and their transfer portal, and really the whole WCHA. There's a couple of other notable names as well too. Minnesota Wild here. Last topic in the main portion of the show. 38, 21, and 7, 83 points for them. They are five points ahead of third in the Central right now, three points out of first in the wild card, and six points out of second in the wild card, which is currently Winnipeg. They've uh, obviously just got Dallas above them, plus 18 goal differential for them. They're playing right now as we speak actually against Arizona. and Is it still not going so well? It wasn't just three, three to two, Minnesota. Okay. Okay, cool. So, uh, Minnesota deadlocked in a battle with the coyotes, which of course are a very formidable now, force. 42.
1: They just scored. So,
0: Oh, there you go. Um, hopefully that score holds, uh, in the past week, one to nothing shootout loss against Calgary, Jared Spurgeon's goal disallowed in that one. Unfortunate result there. Uh, Winnipeg four to two victory in the peg, despite being outshot pretty handily. And then San Jose, the first game without Kirill Kaprizov, uh, five to two, they beat the yeah. sharks in San Jose. Like we mentioned, they're in Arizona tonight. Uh, at St. Louis on Wednesday before coming home Saturday and Sunday against Boston and Washington. Wild are, wild are 8-0-2 in their last 10. They've had points since 12 straight games. Colorado, of course, five points behind them with two games in hand in third place. In the Central Winnipeg, six points behind them with no games in hand in that second wild card spot. Plus four goal differential this past week before the game against Arizona. It would be plus six right now. With the scoring stands. So in typical Hussey's warming house fast fashion, I'm sure they'll lose by the time we're done recording so this. It goes, but, you know. but Kirill Caprizov out three to four weeks until early April here. Um, let's start there. Why don't we? Yeah. Uh, Logan Stanley. Um, was that a tackle? Was it legal? Was it illegal? Oh. What, what do we think?
1: Well, if you go by the book, right, definitely not legal. Now, does that type of play ever usually get called in the NHL? No. Um, couple of things also to remember about Logan Stanley, six foot seven, 200 and some pounds. He's a big boy. Yeah. Um, Wasn't also the happiest player prior to the trade deadline. In fact, you know, essentially rumors are out there that he requested a trade. Now he essentially kind of squashed that um, in a post uh, trade deadline interview, I believe where um, he absolutely downplayed it, but he hadn't been playing a whole heck of a lot up until that point. So to me, you kind of read between the lines. I, I think there was, probably talk of it. There's just nobody wants him at the end of the day. He wasn't really providing much. So then he is, he, what, what do you do? Right. You, you try to impact the game. You get physical. Well, he essentially left his feet and essentially put all six foot seven of his frame on Kirk Priest who fell awkwardly. And yeah, I mean, not a hockey play. No. Is that a play that gets called ever? Not really. Um, yeah. So I'm not surprised that it wasn't called. Now, what, it didn't look good, but the one thing that gave me some comfort is that he got up relatively on soon his own power, efforts, yeah. on his own power. And, you know, at the end of it, yeah, it sucks to have him out this long. But if we've seen anything in the past with hockey, Noah, uh, you and I, is that if he falls a little bit differently, he's out for the year. So, I mean, yeah. you don't, obviously, you hate to see it, but that could have been a lot worse for Kaprizov and you just kind of hope that three to four weeks, maybe five at the most, you know, you just, I think at this point, you're just trying to get him back before, you know, at least in time for the playoffs. I don't think, you know, if you get a chance and you're hundred percent sure he's ready to go, maybe you you slot him in for a couple of games for the playoffs, but I think he'd be ready either way. Um, I think your number one thing is trying to make sure he's fully healthy because when he's fully healthy. Obviously, the one of the best players in the world. I think we try to push him a bit. That's and it might be that's the case, right? No, I think he's the type of player you almost have to try to almost force him off,
0: you know, keep off the ice because. Yeah. If, um, you hope Minnesota doesn't need him, right? You know, down the stretch. Yeah,
1: and, and you know, you kind of wonder too with some of the moves that uh, Bill Guerin has made. You know, Johansson's looked really good. Yes, I just say he's looked really good. Obviously, we haven't seen Gustav Nyquist as of yet. Um, he's slated to be back run the same time as Kaprizov is right to be kind of a playoff push, uh, Sunquist has been serviceable. I think in the role yeah. that he has, it's um, got good foot speed.
0: What a um, what a pass he had to
1: Marcus Foligno the other night. Good pass, uh, John Klingberg. Uh, oh boy, can I can I say this? He did not look good last night. He did not. Yeah. Uh, I, I see the face that you normally give me when you say, "No, Nick, you're wrong." But a few pinches in the offensive zone, just bad reads. And he gave up, you know, odd man rushes behind him. And that's what scares me about him as, you know, part of the knack on him has been, we all know the offensive abilities are there, but defensively sometimes it makes a bad read. It makes a bad pinch. And he had a couple of those in last night's game. I think he's been okay, but that's the one area that I'm concerned about is, you know, he, he sees the puck and if it's not a 50-50 puck, you know, he's, again, he's going after it. But the thing is, he's got to have an. He's got to look to his left. He's got to see what's behind him because, again, in today's NHL and transition game, you you make the wrong move, it's gonna end up in the back here. Not you are chomping at the bit. So I am gonna give you a chance to respond here. So go ahead. How are you, how are you gonna derail me from my throne here?
0: Well, as of right now, this is it's ten twelve in the evening. Um, John Klingberg is a plus six and has not been on the ice for a goal against since the Wild acquired him.
1: Well, you can thank both Mark Andre Flory and Philip Gustafson for that too. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it's, I get the stats, but to me, it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. I know. I know that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't great, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. You kind of know what you're getting with him, right? You know, you got to pair him him with the right guy kind of thing. I don't know. I think he's been okay. And
1: and that's the one thing that gives me some optimism is we know who that right guy is, that right guy is, is waiting for him. Um, yeah. hopefully that he's back because I think if those two were able to get some playing time together, that is the, the duo I think everybody wants to see, including the wild brass and the coaching staff. Um, cause that's mm-hmm. essentially, I think why you're so comfortable making this move for him because you need somebody that can make, you know, kind of read off of him essentially, especially
0: when the offensive blue line. So I can't wow. wait to see that.
1: And maybe my viewpoints will change, but yeah. we'll see.
0: Well, you know, but going back to the Caprizov situation, I think Logan Stanley's situation was a case of a player knowing he was going to close the gap and whatever happened was going to happen. You know, I think the initial yeah. idea was a hockey play, but then it was also like, I'm just going to keep going and whatever happens, happens. And unfortunately, Caprizov got hurt. Wasn't yeah. a great play. I don't think it was overtly malicious. No. But I don't think it. he didn't really let up either. That's all no, I'll yeah. say about that. Yeah. Um, John Klingberg... To me, in the last two weeks, has not been the worst wild defenseman, though. Um not No. I have really been unimpressed with a certain somebody. I sound like I'm like a principal. <laughs> who's, you who's sound open. like
1: you're the guy at a board meeting. He trying to not call out the colleague next to him. Yeah, somebody.
0: um, Covertly this time. Any idea who I'm talking about? I think I do. Yeah, go for it. If you're wrong, okay, I it's Jake Middleton. Mm-hmm. He has given up some pizzas. He's not won foot races in the D zone. It hasn't burned him a ton. And being with Jared Spurgeon will do that to you. Um has not looked great.
1: He's playing a really loose right now. Yeah. Is what I notice. And and part of that is because you have Jared Spurgeon right. And that's sort of you know the the anti argument by putting a guy like Klindberg against Jonas Breeding is that because maybe you mask some of those mistakes too much, as it's almost perpetuating yeah. the problem instead of, you know, sort of covering it up, kind of say. Um, but I, you know, you kind of wonder with with Middleton too. Uh, we, to his skating, he's never been the most fleet of foot. I mean, that's and that's fine. Um, but to me, just some of the angles he takes, and again, just kind of freewheeling. Um, I, I get the sense that he's just almost plain, shall we say blind? Is yeah. that the best way to phrase it? And
0: and I know that the pairing, you know, Jared Spurgeon, Jake Middleton, and then you know, John Klingberg, um, Jonas Brodeen when he comes back, and then kind of the question, what do you do with Matt Dumba? Would you ever yeah, entertain yeah. would you ever entertain a Jared Spurgeon, John Klingberg, and a Jake Middleton, Jonas Brodeen, knowing yes. that you're gonna get fire wagon hockey in the top unit? But yep. a guy who is a good two hundred foot guy in Jared Spurgeon, and then you get a shutdown defensive guy and a guy that, albeit Jake Middleton, might not wow you offensively, but he's not gonna burn you defensively if he's paired with a guy like Jonas Brodeen kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um that's,
1: that's more on Jonas Rudin because you can almost put I any mean, you could put myself with Jonas Rudin and it'll be fine, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's um, not
0: let's not jump the gun here.
1: No, I know, but you know, <laughs> it, it just it's more of a compliment to to Brodine, and I, I yep. still think he's the most underrated defenseman in the in the NHL. I really do. Um, but you could go to that. I mean, isn't that sort of what you try to have when you build a roster if you're a GM? Is to try to have pieces you think you can kind of intermix. Because let's be let be frank. I mean, did anybody have Caprice getting injured on their bingo card? No. Um, Brodeen, obviously, when he's out, I mean, they've gotten through it, right? I mean, they're it's not being pretty all the time, but they're they're pushing through it, right? And one of these one of the situations of the pauses with some of these injuries that are happening is you're learning to figure out how to play with different pairings with different settings. So that way, if it does happen in the playoffs, I mean, playoffs are a whole different animal, right? Noah, yeah. uh, you may be forced to play with a new uh, defensive pairing. You may be forced to juggle the, the forward lines just based on need, right? And it's a lot of they're finding ways to win without Caprisa. They're finding ways to get through defensively without their best defenseman in Jonas Burdine minus Jared Spurgeon, right? Um, to me, that can only give the team more confidence going into a deeper playoff push because then he was like, well, it doesn't matter who I, I can give my lineup, this look, if I want a little bit more offense, if I can sit things back a yeah. little bit, I want a more defensive presence, you can feel comfortable giving the, your opponent different looks. So I think this, I mean, inherently, it's obviously a good thing. Now, we'll see how the rest of the next couple of weeks play out, because again, Kaprizov is out three to four weeks. But early signs, especially without Brodini, he's been out, what, two weeks now? Um, yeah. They've gotten through it. You I think know, your question is, what do you do with Addison?
0: Yeah, I'd say you could slot Kalen Addison in two. I mean, theoretically, if you didn't care at all about offense, you could do Spurgeon, Addison, Klingberg, Dumba, Brodeen, and Middleton. Middleton. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I was thinking about this, though. You can move Jake Middleton down to the third unit with Goligoski or Merrill, keep Dumba with Brodeen when he returns, and put Jared Spurgeon with like Kalen Addison or Klingberg up there, you know what I mean? I mean, you could do something like that too. I mean, you could. You have you have options. I think that's the thing with Minnesota is that if they have a deficiency or a particular opponent, they they have abilities to throw guys in certain situations, not that mm-hmm. they want to, but I don't know that Minnesota's decor is necessarily deep, but they're very utilitarian. They're, they're versatile. Yeah. They
1: are, and it's they're not going to be, you know, the legends defensive core by any means, but um they'll get the job done and maybe you know it's funny when we we talk about doesn't this kind of give you 2003 minnesota wild vibes a little bit and i say that because yes you've got
0: your star and caprice we you had mean, Gabri you mean kind of like the island of misfit toys that yeah. suddenly puts the puzzle together kind of thing
1: but you know the, the skill on this squad i mean it's not even close i would the guys in tw- in 2003 but they're also not like a Boston Bruins and a Carolina Hurricanes. They're not a New York Rangers where they have oodles and oodles of talent and they beat a oodles of talent, Colorado Avalanche squad in seven games being down three, one in the series. And the next series go down to a fairly good Vancouver Canucks squad. And the same thing coming back down three games to one and winning in game seven at GM place. So, and then the ducks just swept them aside, unfortunately with J.S. Jaguar, but you know, you, you kind of want that utilitarian sort of like, you know, versatility in your lineup. You, you just, I don't think if there's one thing which, you know, when Ryan Hartman went down, right. That was the key to the first line. I mean, for
0: a while that offense couldn't find a, you know, a, anything. How about um, an interesting comparable? Don't know if it's exactly accurate. Cause this team was a much heavier team than the wild have right now, but got decent goaltending, had a decent scoring touch. How about the number eight seed 2012 Los Angeles Kings? Kings. I
1: think the only big difference to there is, I mean, because I I watched a couple of documentaries on that team uh, that interviewed some of the players and because you remember Daryl Sutter was just brought in not that long before them. And they talked about how the team needed to buy into, you know, being just smart with the puck. Right. And, it was, I think it was either Dustin Brown or was um, Andre Kopitar that said, you know, when we bought in and we started to see the results, um, oh, yeah, Jared stole too. Um, it was like, okay, no, we can hang with this. Remember, they had to beat a pretty good Sharks team, number one.
0: Yeah, um, what a what a comeback that was. Yeah, yeah
1: holy cow, right? Don't um, matter if
0: that was 2012 or 2014, but whatever year it was. 12,
1: but yeah. either way, I mean, they their road to that first cup was not an easy one and they sort of came out of nowhere, right? So um it's a good comparable, but I think the difference is here is that the wild are in a top two spot. So they're not like a team well, that's been playing desperate. Although yeah, well,
0: they kind of have. Well the one thing that's might be good to come out of this especially with a small point cushion that they have they're going to learn how to score without cruel Kaprizov, or they're going to die that's trying right. yeah. you know and i think that that's going to bode well should Kaprizov return and how about the fact if gustav nyquist suddenly is in this lineup too and we know what uh, he's done historically yeah.
1: again with uh, his uh, career especially in detroit um you know i don't think you know columbus was the best fit for him but at the end of it, his time in Detroit was was over with. So he could be sort of that dark horse, you know, offensive injection that, you know, if he plays to where we've seen him in the past, uh, that could be the X factor, I think. Right. Uh, you know, Hanson, or he's kind of showing that he fits in so well uh, with, you know, his line that he's been with. Again, his speed has been on display. He's so smart with the puck.
0: Who would have thought, huh?
1: Yeah, right. And, re- and remember, he was let go because of cap issues they they wanted him back but he got a better deal
0: um um uh, or no yeah but apparently but apparently his trade was an overpay apparently which I don't understand that it's like low risk high reward right you know i mean well,
1: these are the same people that, unless you're going out and getting Patrick Kane and you know expending two first-round picks and whatnot, they're not happy about it. So I don't really care what they say, honestly. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm well, seriously though, like it's either they they want the big splash or it's it's an overpay. It's like you realize that Billy Garren. Got in, you know, some of the, you know, because, and again, the, the playoffs are all about your bottom six in the forwards, right, Noah? Because at the end of the day, your top mm-hmm. six are going to get the most attention, your best defensive units in the forward group. So you need that secondary scoring. It always has been about that. Um, I think if you were to go back as hockey fans and go back to some of the Stanley Cup uh, runs that you've seen, it's always been like a third or fourth line here. How about last year? Uh, Valerie Nichuskin, um was a guy that came in, you know, with his story and was sort of just, the catalyst to a lot of the Colorado Avalanches, big time goals and just very timely goals, right? Uh for St. Louis. So who was uh for St. Louis? Was it um Well Robert Thomas had one? Robert Thomas, a... yeah. Yeah. And um, then with too at that time.
0: You know, that's the thing too though, is like even guys like Oscar Sunfest, even Ryan Reeves has looked serviceable when he's been in the lineup. He's had a couple of good looks lately. This wild. while tonight too. This wild team is certainly trending in the right direction. Um, We'll have to take a look, obviously, at their off-season moves. Speaking of off-season moves, why don't we head on to our Extra Ice Session? We've got a bit to dissect here in the WCHA, specifically with the St. Cloud State women's team. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxson, Noah Grant here for episode 153 here in the Den. And uh, as the title says for those on the YouTube page, St. Cloud's WCHA transfer portal, Hmm. Um, you're surprised I'm not yeah interesting well let's start here with a transfer portal Um, not the only team in the WCHA to have players that are out here but certainly the one with the most in the WCHA Ohio State Minnesota Wisconsin Duluth of course the top four teams from this past season have no players in the portal as of right now although declarations are hard to do when you're in the middle of the NCAA tournament um Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you play for especially Ohio State, the Gophers in Wisconsin, I would think you'd want to be there. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, forward Reese Hunt for Bemidji State, who has one year remaining, she's in the portal. Um, and she would be a great pickup for St. Cloud if they were able to get her over there. Um, as would uh, forward Kelsey King from Mankato. Yes. One year left for her. Goaltender or Calla Frank has two years for Mankato. They're both in the portal. Um Jenna Hardung from St. Thomas has one year remaining uh, as a forward. And then, of course, our St. Claude State Huskies um, coming in here with, um, if my master is me correct, I believe it's seven Seven. um, players here. So forward Mackenzie Borgeray, forward Allison Green, um, they both have one year of eligibility remaining. Um, Chase Sperling, one year as well. Lauren um, Tuzik has three years on the back end. So those are both defensemen, Sperling and Tuzik. Julia Pacetti um, in that has four years remaining for the Huskies. I don't know red shirt in this year. I think yeah. kind of I don't want to say seeing the writing on the wall, but maybe just kind of taking a look at the goaltending depth that the Huskies have, maybe at least for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking a look at that. Um, and then forward Olivia Savar one year left for her as same with forward Courtney hall, who have both been mainstays as well. Same with Boris and green for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, on the outside, looking in a uh, bit of a, a panic button, so to speak, I don't know much about the incoming freshman class for the women's team as of yet, but Nick, you kind of mentioned to me that there's more to this than meets the eye.
1: Yeah. Uh, when I covered uh st cloud uh, during hockey day uh there was a lot of conversations with some folks um that are shall we say in the know and there was essentially a lot of fingers being pointed to this being a very big possibility um i think the biggest one that surprised me is by again redshirted. um yes you're gonna have jojo back and a whole lot but they're gonna be upperclassmen um but at the end of the day, you can only register one year, right? So if, if Becchetti looking at that and yeah. doesn't think that she can compete or maybe was told by um, Idolsky that you know maybe he's still going to be third in the yeah. depth chart, I get it's, it. Right? It's
0: hard to, hard to be patient, but sometimes it's kind of what you have to do a little bit.
1: Yeah, so that one's tough. But on the flip side of that, um, essentially the word that was circulating was when Idolsky came in last year. And, you know, got the job and he talked about, you know, essentially two things, right? He, he essentially came in and asked the group, you know, who are we going to out talent? And, you know, people looked around the locker room and said, well, I don't know. And he goes, well, who are we going to out work? You know, he knows what he has in the cupboard, right? And let's just say that um, from some people that I know are close to the to the situation, the finger was pointed at the players that it, it essentially said, we need to change the way that we handle our business around here. And a lot of it is, shall we say, you know, in the words of these sources where we need to act like we're a division one hockey team. Um, Now that's not a knock on a previous regime. That's not a knock on any particular player. That's more of like, they saw that to be more competitive, there had to be systemic changes. And that is to their workout routine, to their, uh, shall we say their nutrition um, to maybe some of the decisions after games, right. uh, For the players. So this does not shock me. Because again, when let's just say you're in that boat, right, and the boat's sinking. and you know, you're looking for you're you're looking elsewhere as to why the boat's sinking, then you realize that you know
0: you're the one who put the you're hole the in one who put the
1: hole in the boat, right? Yeah. That's sort of what was communicated to me from these sources about kind of how this went. And Idolsky being the cat shit, no, this is on you guys. You are if you want this to be better, then we're going to hold you to a higher standard. Um, so I want to break some down a few players if I may, right? So yeah. uh, Courtney Hall, Bergeret, Allison Green, Shay Spurling, Roland, and Tuzek. Um, most of these players did not see game to game ice time. Most of them did not. A um, Savar was the one that did shock me. Um, a bit. Yeah. Courtney
0: Hall saw a lot of hockey yep. too. Four forwards, two defensemen and a goaltender, by the way, in case yep. you wanted that sort of breakdown.
1: Yeah. But, you know, looking up some of the line charts, I mean, they were, I, I know Savar was sort of in the top six, but sometimes she was sort of in the top nine, if not maybe the fourth line too. So um I, I definitely, you got the sense too from Idolsky that there was a lot of message sending. Uh, this year, where you know he drew the line and he was not budging it, and so you got to credit to Adolski and the coaching staff to come in, set the standard, and and to hold it right. I think it's it's willing to set the standard, it's another thing to hold it, and for uh, you saw the results right. So this, even though the Huskies had it, their best season in a while, right? Uh, when you have these changes, and when again we talk about that sort of that analogy, you do expect to have some people that just simply either a i feel like they want more ice time and didn't get it or two, just think there's greener pastures and in their side so this is what a, part of that growth process what a, really set is.
0: Of, what a set of stones you have to have you know to come yeah. and kind of lay the hammer down a little bit because you know here's the thing i mean the huskies theoretically you know and not to say that when you enter the transfer portal you can't come back to the team that you you know right are trying to transfer out of but you have seven players right now on this roster. And usually most colleges carry 25 to 28 players, give or take, um, you know, on a roster, you lose that plus a couple of fifth year players or seniors who want to move on. Um, and knowing that your freshman class has to come in and supplement some of that scoring, some of that defensive structure, goaltending, if you need it. And then you also might have to dip into the transfer portal, the other direction and pull one or two people into this lineup as well, too, knowing the success that you had last season, it's going to be an interesting offseason. This team is going to have a much different look next year. And this is where we're going to see does Brian Idolsky and Janelle Sergei's new game plan and the foundation of building blocks for what they want this program's new look to be. Is it going to hit home? Is it going to resonate with the core that's still there, the incoming freshmen and any transfer portal acquisitions that they make? This is going to be an interesting time to see if they can replicate the success they have this year based on, the potentially tumultuous offseason they're going to have. I have complete faith mm-hmm. in them, 110%. And I I think knowing Idolsky and, you know, of course, knowing Janelle very well too, they don't make a move like this and set a standard like this if they don't know what they're in for and they yep. don't have a plan in place for it. Um, this will be
1: interesting. It will be, and mind you, the you know let's not talk about the seniors are losing, right? How about uh, you know uh, Clara hemlarova How about uh, you know, Nina Newland, right? Um, now, mind you, another red shirt that isn't on this list that uh, is going to be probably their their prime offensive weapon is going to be Laura Zimmerman, who spent time on Team Switzerland. Right. Um, she's still uh, you know listed at least as far as I know, but she didn't play a game because uh, essentially, if I gather correctly, Adolski essentially looked at. You know, shall I say that the roster inherited and saw, you know, again, to your point, expected that this would likely take place. And essentially, is, she's probably going to be given probably the keys to the offense here as early as her fresh, you know, her, her actual freshman year, which will be the start of the
0: 23-24 season. So, yeah, um, now you mentioned, for- sorry to interrupt you, just you mentioned, I mean, McKenna Wesley, Nina Newland, Tatum, Geyer. All done for sure. Yeah, red shirt seniors: Allie Cornelius and then Taylor Lynn, Clara Himlarova, Addie Scribner. All our seniors who are not on the transfer list, right? Who haven't intended one way or the other for sure. A couple of them could definitely play professionally at the next level. Do mm-hmm. you see any of those players back? The other two, of course, are Courtney Hall and Olivia Savar, who both just entered the transfer portal. But right. Scribner, Himmlerova, Lind, Cornelius, do you see any of them back?
1: I think Himlarova has definitely got a professional career, so it would shock me if she returned. Um, now, unless there was a love for the program or just you know thinking that she could develop more. I, I just I can't see it, at least on the surface level. I think she's proven all she had, could have proven. She had a career year this year and really looked, you know, she carried the offense this year. And so, not like she hasn't done that before, but uh, really had a breakout year in terms of her numbers uh, under Idelski's system. So, to me, it would be a very big long shot of Himmler Rover returns, but. Again, you never know, right? I think in Taylor Lind, what a coming out party she had uh, yeah. this year. Um, I could definitely see her returning now, unless there was some, shall we say, um, impressions by the scouts, which is another thing that sometimes, if you're a late bloomer, you know, sometimes teams go, we got to get on this player before somebody else does. Maybe she gets, you know, an offer she can't refuse. Uh, and no, that was not a uh, the Godfather reference there, but, you know, here we are. Um, there's potential there, but I, I kind of think that. You're going to see more turnover. I, yeah. I do, just based on that surface. Now, uh, as far as players coming in, Noah, you mentioned uh, so far two defensemen, four forwards. You got Sophia Johnson from Palmer, Alaska. You got it uh, was five foot ten, by the way, so she's you know taller than most people. Uh, Marie Moran from Apple Valley at five foot eight, four forwards. Uh, Grace Delmonico from Egan, um, Alexei um, Hanra. Uh, oh, geez. I'm going to bash this, uh, Hanran <laughs> um, and Maple Grove, Greta Henderson out of, uh, uh Saskatchewan and Alice, um, Alice, so of so- 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 uh, 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 Quebec. So, and I'm, I'm definitely probably botching these, but, um, at the end of it, you know, and, and how about this for, uh, um, for her, just it looks like I don't see any stats from this year, but you know, two two years ago, we're talking about Cerule. She had 16 goals, 44 assists for 60 points in
0: 37 games played. So, um, I don't know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I sorry, I'm just laughing because you said ran and I was thinking about Tommy Hanaran from the movie Slapshot is where my might went I know. To. And um, anyway, we to um anyway some and, kind of connection just based on yeah my luck. So <laughs> I say, yeah, I am gonna back away from that one, not slowly, very quickly. Taylor Lynn, by the way, twenty-two points for her this year. I would not be surprised if she plays at the next level. The question is, will that be next year or the year after? I would love to see her back in Husky Sweater. Would love to see him the Rova back too. They could use both of those players as well, too. But yeah, this St. Cloud team, interesting. I for sure we're gonna continue on the women's side and take keep looking at that transfer portal to see if we notice anything in either direction. The men's side at some point, probably in the next month or two, I'm sure we'll get to that point once as well. We get
1: past the, uh, once we yeah. get past the national championship game, yeah. which is less than a month away.
0: Yeah, um, April 6th and April 8th. And then you have um uh, of course, guys that have already signed at the National Hockey League level and then players mm-hmm. are going to sign in the women's side too. So I think we're going to kind of encapsulate all that as we as we move forward too. I'm going to guess next week we're probably going to be talking a lot about Selection Sunday. Most likely. <laughs> yeah. So our plan, um, I believe we're going to record Sunday night, similar to what we did kind of today, and hopefully a Monday morning release. So we want to capture right after that Selection Sunday what we anticipate the term is going to be. And we're going to definitely, now that we'll know the actual seedings, we're going to predict it for sure. I mean, yes. 100. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then maybe we can even look back back at our brackets that we picked about two weeks ago and realize how totally off base those things were.
1: Well, uh, RIT is not going to be there. So <laughs> yeah,
0: I should have just written Atlantic hockey. I like how one of them, should I just, done that, yeah. I don't even know where I put it one of them. I just put a question mark and just left at that. You laughed at me. And now I look back and I'm like, that was probably the best move I made all day, honestly. Um, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> with that being said on the women's team, men's side, NCA, was there anything that you, wanted to add related to any of those you know not not entirely
1: but I I think if there's any one storyline I want to just you know I guess repeat is that St. Cloud again better showing these last couple weekends against a very tough opponent uh also hats off to UMD they fought I mean, they fought to the better end, so you got to tip your caps to the Bulldogs. They def- they definitely did not make it easy for the Huskies, which inherently hopefully helps them as they continue on the path toward uh, the playoff pusher. Here we are, right? It's, it's March Madness, Noah. It's our favorite time of the year. And, uh, you know, again, in a week from now, we'll know uh, everybody's fate officially in terms of the seedings, where they're going to be heading for regionals. And, uh, you know, who we expect and can kind of predict it more. But either way, there's still a lot more hockey to be played. Uh, again, the NHL uh, getting closer and closer. Again, uh, Wild have, what, their 67th game today. So they're going to have, what,
0: 15 games yeah. left? Iowa I, I Wild are in fourth right now in the Central. They've got 14 games remaining for them. So, And don't um, ask me about North Iowa. I don't want to talk about it. Oh, Get out of here! I'm, I, I'm I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm, um, with that, yeah, boys. They yikes. do better
1: when I'm not on the road with them. Apparently,
0: so they had no business winning either of those hockey games. No, and, no, they did not. Uh, so. Yikes. Um. Anyway, um. With that being said, though, hopefully the Huskies have a lot of business winning their next, hopefully, two hockey games uh, at the NCHC level, and hopefully their next four after that. Um, they are definitely going to be a tournament lock. Um, will they be a two seed? Will they be a three seed? I'm guessing they're going to be a two seed. Um. Unless they lose pretty handily on Maybe, yeah. on Friday night, but even then they're at seven, so they are kind of on the brink depending on what happens. But yep. nonetheless, win a hockey game, kind of an important you know thing at this time. They
1: walk into two city if they at least get to the champion, championship game. Um, yeah, but. Like like
0: like you mentioned, though, um, Huskies trending in the right direction, even the weekend prior. I mean, it wasn't amazing, but, you know, the last five games for St. Cloud, albeit, have been moving back towards the direction we anticipated in the first half, hopefully getting back to playing their right hockey at the right time, hopefully getting bodies back as well, To Hopefully some injury bugs going away, but we will have to see. With that being said, episode 154 coming to you in exactly a week for Nick Maxson. I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. one-timer, come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perfix!
1: Yeah. So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies, a long shot Dwayne Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it! Now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.